What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Richard Geek Podcast. I am very happy to have with us all the way from England, Matthew Stibba. And he is a serial entrepreneur, marketing maven. He, I, I'm not sure what he what he doesn't do, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're very good at marketing campaigns. He is the current CEO of Articulate Marketing, which is a UK marketing agency specializing in the tech sector. And he was also the CEO of Intelligent Games. So he's not only a tech person, but he's a gamer. He uh, was the founder and CEO of a 70-person computer game company where he designed games for Lego, produced two games based on Dune. How are you doing, Matthew? Doing very well. It's really nice to be here, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, we could go on and on about your credentials. You went to Oxford. Um, You are a sommelier. I'm a bit of a wine geek. Yes, I'm afraid so. I'm, I, I, I've developed this geek tendency of getting very obsessed about things and spending a lot of time learning about them, history and then computer yes. games and then wine and then writing and marketing. Wine um, and, and aviation, I hear. Yes, yes. I have a, 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 an American, an FAA commercial pilot's license and instrument yeah. rating as well. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I, in my previous life, I was an airline pilot. Oh, awesome. And uh, so I, I know how fun and hard it is to get your commercial and instrument rating. Um, Especially if you're paying for it. Although I think if you do it in the US to become a, a commercial pilot, an actual commercial pilot getting paid to actually fly, you still have to pay for your training. I don't suppose do. to train people now. You, you do. You know, unless you were in the military, then it's a little bit easier. You have the government pay for your licenses and, and it's easier to trans, uh, transfer from military to, to uh, civilian. But uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit about, you know, there, there's a lot of things that we could go into. Let's, let's start with articulate marketing and getting into the differences on like tech marketing. You know, if I were to go out and I'm a tech person, my wife is in the tech field and I wanted to start my own company. You, you know, you have, suppose I need a website and I know that you uh, have a company that helps with website and marketing. So tell us a little bit about tech marketing. Well, uh, articulate marketing um, 
we do a lot of work around content website development strategy for tech companies. Um, and the thing that I've learned in for doing this for 20 years um, for companies like Microsoft and Dell and, and smaller, more entrepreneurial companies, the secret of tech marketing is not to talk about the technology. Okay. So that, that sounds counterintuitive, but if I can put it in the words of Jason Fried, if I can borrow his words, founder of Basecamp, he said, there's an enormous difference between this is what our technology does and this is what you can do with our technology. And good marketers say, this is what you can do with our technology. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding people's needs, understanding their pain points, and f- showing them how they can use what you are making, the clever stuff that you are building with your technology, how, you, how they can change their life, how they can improve things, how they can make progress mm-hmm. in whatever ways are meaningful for them. And I think this is, this is one of the things that Apple has done incredibly well and a lot of its competitors who you know functionally sell the same things do not do so well um think back to think different the the apple campaign in the 90s everybody else was talking about speeds and free uh, feeds and you know we've got 90 gigabytes and we've got this much memory and apple just had a picture of einstein on the poster right apple's going to make you smart more creative more clever or you can go and buy one of these other computers that's just got some numbers. Um, mm. And by analogy, um, one of my former clients, and I won't name the names to protect the guilty, but internally they used to describe their marketing as calling sushi cold dead fish. <laughs> because they were always talking about the product and never yeah. talking about the thing that you could do with it. Ah, that's very interesting. And it's kind of a way of, you know, if you're in real estate investing, you know, when you say, what do you do? Well, I sell real estate or I do real estate syndications. You can say that because that's obvious, or you could say something in the marketing aspect of, I diversify my clients' portfolios and give them a better, more stable return. You know, I mean, you can say it. I in those types get of richer. Yes. Instead of just um, saying, I syndicate real estate or I do yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Make yeah. it a little prettier. So that, that's the first thing that I've, I've seen. Um, and the next sort of stage on from that, I think, and, and, and I've been banging on about this for years and years and years. When you are, Um, doing marketing the first thing you have to do to bring people into a conversation with you and that might be getting them to your website where they might convert sign up download engage do something you you gotta start the conversation talking to them about their issues in their language you've got to understand where they're at and go go meet them at least halfway so if you are sitting on your website going, you know, you're going to come find us because blah, 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 blah. We, we, we're talking about our product, we're talking about our product and our language. Nobody's searching Google for, you know, that stuff, especially if nobody's heard of you. So I'll give you an example of this. We had a client years ago called Red Pixie. They were eventually bought by Hewlett Packard Enterprise and they made um, software 
that would take an, a huge complicated Excel spreadsheet, upload it into Microsoft Azure, where it would run super fast. Now, that's not a problem for most people, but if you're an insurance company and you're doing risk modeling in Excel, you click calculate and you come back eight hours later and it's still calculating. You upload it into, the, into uh, this Azure calculation engine, as they call it, and it would be done in 10 minutes. And the, chain, the, the dramatic business changing results of being able to do this high performance computing in the cloud with your Excel models, transformational. Okay. Mm. Our first campaign for them was not, you know, we, we've got this Azure calculation engine. It does high performance computing in, you know, in Azure cloud because nobody was searching for that. The problem people had was they were running really big spreadsheets in Excel that were slow. So we wrote blog posts like pimp my Excel, 10 ways to make Excel faster. Just because that's what they were typing. How do I make Excel faster? They were looking for any small angle that would get their thing done quicker. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was it was huge. We, in a couple of weeks, we had a, a few hundred signups for this white paper that we wrote. And one of them within a couple of months went on to be a, a seven-figure deal for the, for the client. And it was a huge success. But we weren't talking about the product or the technology. We were talking about the issues um, that the users cared about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, inbound marketing is very, very important. You know, it's, I can spend $100,000 on a website and have all these processes and forms, but if you don't have the correct inbound marketing, no one will ever get there, right? This is a very common problem. Not so much for the multinationals who sort of seem to have huge amounts of traffic, but for startups and small businesses and businesses that are ambitious and looking to grow, we've, we very often come across companies that have got, you know, two, three, four thousand visitors a month to their website, you know, and anything over a thousand is, is, is starting to get real people. Anything under a thousand sessions a month is just bots and spiders and your mother. Um, so, and that they're saying, well, you know, we want to improve the conversion rate. We want to get more leads. Yes, conversion rate optimization is important, but actually job one is get more people to the site. Yeah. And inbound marketing with genuine thought leadership. And you now, I think these days, the marketplace of ideas is much more competitive. In 2006, I started my blog and, you know, I got 40,000 sessions, visitors a month and just mm-hmm. from like writing stuff. And, and now to go from zero to 40,000 sessions, that takes quite a lot of work. Um, so you need to also be thinking about SEO. You need to be thinking about PPC. You need to be thinking about kind of reaching out and attracting people with social media and doing things like talking to interesting interviewers on podcasts so that there's more to it. But the fundamental thing of value before commitment, of demonstrating thought leadership, of inviting people into your world by talking about their issues and needs and starting a conversation and nurturing conversation. All the fundamentals of inbound marketing are as true today as they ever were. You just have to do them a bit better than you could have you could get away with 10 years ago. How important is copywriting with that? Copywriting is the secret weapon. Yeah. In my view. Now, I say that as a recovering ex-journalist and a you know a, a, a reader and a writer. Um, but this is particularly true these days because there are so many blog posts and so many of them are written by content farms for pennies per, per word. You've got to have two things, in my view. 
for content, for copyright, for, for you know, articles. One, depth of content. It has to be genuinely interesting, valuable, useful, entertaining. It has to have some, ideally some original research, some expert opinion, some expert value, some value for the reader, some resource in, in, in there. It has to be useful. Um, typically that also means it has to be a little bit longer than it used to be. You know, you need to be thinking in the region of a thousand to 2000 words for a blog post. Um, and the second thing is it needs to be well-written because people, as you know, read differently online than they read in a book. So, um, Jacob Nielsen and the Norman Nielsen group publishes a, a report called how people read online, fascinating, critical reading. You know, you need to make it short, punchy, scannable and so on um and also i think if you can write with a bit of fizz and ginger a bit of vim a bit of excitement and that takes skill that also if you make it easy for people to read and you make it interesting for people to read that's a good out a good outcome that last bit is very hard um and i i often say that everybody is a everyone can write I mean, certainly in, in your audience, everyone's got degrees and they're all clever people. And, you know, they're just, they, they, they know how to put sentences together, right? They've been to school, but they're not writers. And writers do some things that civilians don't do to make good copy. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. So it, to me, it's the back end of those things, the copyrights and the SEOs, those are, seem to me, more important than the actual website design and build or does it go hand in hand it again i i, I think you're right my instinct mm -hmm. my experience is if you have a really shiny polished website but there's no depth and content and value for the visitor mm -hmm. that actually is fatuous if you have a there, there is a sort of minimum standard for websites and and uh, i think you can't have a really poor website with great content and it, it that probably won't work but you don't need to have a fantastic you don't need to have this sort of super polished shiny you know over designed website and in fact i think when people get when people think about their website they often over engineer the design they obsess about design we, we often hear from new clients i want something that's different from everybody else well, could you imagine Stephen King going to his publisher and go, I, I, I've written this new book and I want the book to work differently from everyone else's book. I want the, you know, the pages printed sideways and I want it to start in the middle and go, you know, why would you do that? You want, you know, everyone knows how a book works, right? You start on page one, you read to the end and the vicar did it. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of want to have websites that people know how to use. So just like, don't break the conventions, make it fast, make it load quickly, make it accessible for people with disabilities. Just, just mm -hmm. do a good job. Beyond that point, in my view, spend the money on the content, not on more, more design. Mm, perfect. Now, once, once they get the SEO, they get the copyright, you know, they're kind of in the growth Let's talk a little bit about how you could help them in the sales acceleration once all that stuff's gone. And uh, I know you're using like HubSpot and things like that. What are some of the sales, sales accelerators that there's out there? So we're HubSpot Diamond Partner. So we're, we're, we're sort of programmed to use that. But what I'm, what I'm going to try and suggest here would work with other things, Marketo or Elocro. It's their, their mm -hmm. techniques rather than software specific. Um, 
So imagine in the world, there are two streams of people coming into your sales funnel. Stream number one coming through your website inbound, right? They've, you've done all your SEO, you've done your social, they've come to the website and you've, you've started a conversation with them. So maybe they filled in a form to download a white paper or a report or an interactive calculator or a webinar, something. They've engaged in and so they've dropped into your CRM. So that's one source. The other source is the outbound sort of prospecting or you know account-based marketing targeting people and reaching out proactively to them the intent with the outbound stuff is only to get them to that starting line where they've come to your website and they've downloaded something right mm-hmm. you, you, maybe they pick up the phone and they book a meeting but in, in in most cases the journey in for both starts being meaningful when they start a relationship on your website so how do you how do you nurture that the first thing is, I think it, the, the high value thing that you can do is to build a relationship by offering value before commitment. So they've done something on your website. They may not yet be ready to buy, but they've taken, taken a step towards you. So if you think, dear listener, about the, the things that you enjoy reading, the emails that you subscribe to and actually open, the podcasts that you listen to and you listen to repeated episodes. What is it about them that keeps you coming back? Go and do that in your email nurture, in your follow-up. Because if you can take, if you can build the relationship of trust and confidence and show expertise and value before somebody is ready to buy, ready to sign up, the sales process is going to be easier. You're going to differentiate yourself from your competitor. You're going to bypass, hopefully, a lot of people's objections and build demand, build expectation, build the desire to work with you. This is, this is not what most technology companies want to do. Most technology companies believe their product is so good that if only we can get straight to the point where we tell you all the features and benefits and point you at a credit card form or point you at a purchase order contract, you will sign up. No, build the trust, build the relationship, differentiate yourself, and then the sales process will happen. So you can do that with emailing, you can do that with outreach, you can do that in lots of different ways, but start with the, the audience. Um, I, 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 so for my own marketing, for the marketing of the agency, we find webinars work incredibly well because they allow you to demonstrate thought leadership. They allow you to show who you are, who, who the client is going to deal with. Um, podcasts like this one, absolutely fantastic. Also very, very good. Um, videos, we, we really like Leila Pomper. We use ClickUp at work for our project management. She is like the world guru on ClickUp and she just does these videos on YouTube. She's, she's just out there helping people, but you can sign her up as a consultant and she'll in paper. Um, so all of these are really good examples. And I, I really like um, Scott Galloway's emails um, and I sign up and read those. You, you may have seen, you know, you've probably got emails that you read regularly that are thought provoking. So, you know, there's lots of ways of doing this. And imagine what, what it would, difference it would make for your company if people thought about you the way I think about these people I've mentioned. It's very interesting. It's, it's, uh, and everybody, again, it's articulate, articulatemarketing.com if you're interested in that. And something that I had never heard of, that uh, your company is a certified B Corp. Yeah. What is I'm, that? I'm, I'm, I, I, 
I am tremendously proud of that, partly because it was hard work and partly because yeah. it's in my it's a good thing. So what is a B Corp? A B Corp, the B stands for benefit. It is a global movement that started in the US that is that starts with the idea that business is a force for good. Okay. It's not about businesses becoming charities. It's not about not making money. It's about making sure that you are operating ethically, responsibly, with respect to the environment, with respect to your employees, with respect to your other stakeholders like suppliers and customers, um, with respect to your community. So to become a B Corp, you fill in a B Corp impact assessment. It's, 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 you can do the first pass in a couple of hours for free online, but to do it properly is, takes, can take quite a long time. And they give you a score. So the first time we did it at Articulate back in 2018, we got a score of 35. To become a B Corp, you need a score over, if I remember correctly, 70 or 80. And you need to be audited. So you don't just say you do all these great things. Somebody comes and checks, right? And so we, we eventually became a B Corp. It took us about 18 months of revising our business policies, practices, behaviors, adding some things like carbon offsetting, changing some of our employee, employee policies, putting in place healthcare insurance, and just things like that. And, and it, that journey, was a, it, was, it served to raise our standards as a business. And then we became a B Corp, and then we were able to use that label to prove to our customers, to our prospective hires and partners, you know, we meet this standard. We are certified for this. This isn't just like greenwashing. We've done this stuff. Um, and we recently recertified and we increased our score um, uh, just last year. So, you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing journey. Okay, all of that is great. It makes me feel good and proud of the company. What are the benefits? twofold. I mean, there's a sort of virtue signaling smug happiness bit about it, but that doesn't make anyone any money. So the first thing is, it helps with recruitment, especially these days, great resignation, war for talent, everything's up in the air. It's very hard to recruit. I would imagine amongst tech entrepreneurs hiring, you know, really smart people, you want to put as you know, want to put as much as many fingers on the scale in favor of your company as you can. Being a B Corp, absolutely helps people identify you as a company with values and identify your, their values with your business. And it's, it's because it's objective, it, it, it's an, an audited, that's a very compelling thing. So we use it in our employer branding, we use it in our recruitment, it is definitely a factor. Second thing, we have clients, and we work with big multinationals who will send us onboarding forms and checklists to check our you know, policies about this, 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 and this. And for in, in the last two or three of these onboardings that we've done, I've just said we're a B Corp and don't, I'm not filling in the form, we're a B Corp. Here's our, here's our score on their website and they go, fine, you're done. So you pass the sort of vendor compliance checks very quickly, great. And we have, we have signed at least two deals well into six figures because we were a B Corp. For example, one company wanted a B Corp certified marketing agency that knew HubSpot. And they, they were B Corp, so they wanted that up in, in their supply chain. They prep, had a preference for B Corps. 
And we were at the time the only HubSpot agency that was B Corp certified. So, so great. How much can we charge you for this? Um, and and you know it was it was a good project and a good relationship, and we did some good work for them, built them a website, did some marketing, and, and launched their their new service. Um, so. You know, I think that's. I think there's a real good reason for going and doing it. Certainly, going and looking at it. Mm. It's very interesting. You know, it's uh, something that we should all be more cognizant about, and I will uh, certainly look into it. Now, within your B Corp business, uh, you have a little twist that you are all remote. Yes, and that we gets into before more it was of the, fashionable. Yes. And, you know, that's more of, you can say, modern management. You, you did that. Now, a lot of managers that are maybe listening here have a hard time managing remote workers. They're being forced to. They may be a little more micromanaged type of person, that type of personality. Um, how do you manage your remote workers? And you've been doing it for a very long time. Yeah, um, we've been remote working for well, since the beginning, but for 10 years or so. Um, I don't pretend to have all wisdom on this, but I have quite a lot of experience. And I think the number one thing that I've learned is you, you, you have to um, trust people to be doing their job. Mm-hmm. That letting go is quite hard. And you have to shift your metric of productivity or your measure of control from measuring inputs, how many hours they work, Mm -hmm. you know, how how quickly they get back to you on email, whether they're coming to meetings or not, shift from inputs to measuring outputs. So that's the big conceptual shift, letting go, measuring outputs. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really hard. I am a geeky control freak micromanager dying Mm -hmm. to watch people type their work i would love to know what so and that that's kind of normal anyway especially in technology management because the thing that the thing that got you promoted was the mastery of your craft and your technology work you know programmers who are good at programming very often get promoted to be project managers or program managers on the strength of their ability to develop software and suddenly they're not developing software they're managing developers and it's a different thing different skill set I'm reading a fascinating book by uh, Michael Lopp at the moment about that. Um, uh, he's uh, Rand's in repose if you ever w- want to look at his blog. Um, so th- I, 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 I'm tr- constantly fighting with that. And one of the things that we did in the agency, and I think this is, I offer this as a suggestion, as a mechanism that might work in other areas. We, we shifted from doing timesheets, measuring inputs, yeah. rewarding hours, which are lies and BS anyway, because I can't even remember what I did for lunch, had for lunch today, let alone what, how many hours I spent working on this client or that client. We shifted from that to measuring output. So we, we use points, pricing, points, effort, m- modeling. So in our project management in ClickUp, we would assign uh, a, a, a writing a blog, for example, or you know, doing some, building a website page or something like that. We have a tariff, so we know that on the whole, it's five points for a blog post, it's ten points for a web page, twenty points for a white paper, and and that's a measure of the average effort required to do that piece. So that at the end of the month or at the end of a sprint, we can look at ClickUp and we can say, okay, now Matthew's done one hundred and fifty-four points worth of work, mm. and I, I I get a, a sort of a, a 
fungible measure of output from, that I can measure for across the company. I can look at individuals. I can look at trends. I can see how long it takes for a new copywriter to get up to speed and things like that. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm quantifying routine deliverables and measuring endpoints. We then use that to price up the work as well. So it's kind of, uh, so that's one mechanism that yeah. we use. The, the other thing that I think is really important, um, and this is not, not so geeky, uh, I find the human stuff quite hard. So I'm quite happy at the other side of the screen, but the, the human stuff is critical. Culture is critical. And so one of the things that I've learned is, is you have to invest in that. You have to consciously work on your culture with the people in the company. Mm -hmm. um, we have a chief happiness officer, which is a you know big investment for a 20-person marketing agency. We we've 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 done multiple, multiple workshops over the year, over the years as a, as a company working on our culture and defining it and talking about it and exploring it. And I, 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 before the pandemic, BC, I, I often used to astonish people by saying it costs us more money to be a remote company than it would cost if we had an office. We spend, you know, the money we save on rent, we spend on culture. You know, but it's so important, you know, I'm mean, just cultures. It's especially in how do you keep employees? How can you get them to say that? Why leave for 25 cents more an hour when yeah. you're not going to be happier? You may make that little bit more, but you want them to say, but you'd be more happy staying, you know, for a little less. I think people, I'd say cliche, but people leave managers, they don't leave companies. Hmm. Although these days everything's up in flux and people <laughs> are looking for different opportunities. And yeah. We, we certainly found bef before the pandemic, we were attracting, a, there was a certain type of person that liked working remotely. They were often very geeky. Um, mm. We have quite a neurodiverse workforce and the remote working suits certain patterns of mind and ways of thinking um, that suits, suits the company very well. But it, it, a lot of that's changed now. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, it's not a competitive advantage in the recruitment market in the way that it used to be. Yeah, you know, it's true in some of our hotels, you know, for instance, you know, the housekeepers, it's, it's a very huge challenge. Uh, they're not remote, but it's like, how can you keep them happy? Well, right now, it doesn't matter. Um, it, they will look at a hotel and say, oh, I go there for 90 days, I get a bonus. So they go there, get the bonus, quit, <laughs> go to work for another company that has a bonus. So they hop around collecting these bonuses and there's no loyalty at all because they housekeeping is housekeeping is, is what they're saying. You know, so it's, yeah, that must be very difficult. And I, I guess, you know, it, it, it in, a, in an industry where costs are important and the, you know, mm. salaries are finely judged. Um, but I, I, I was thinking about the Ritz Carlton and they had, um, their mantra was ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And I never knew how, how deep that went, mm. but I would imagine if I was a housekeeper, I would, I would quite like to, I would be more loyal to an organization that made me feel good and important about the work I was doing and had a culture that celebrated a certain refinement or quality in doing it. Um, I, I, 
I, I make no comment about other hotels and I'm, I'm not a particular fan of any brand, but it, yeah. I, I think I think even in those sorts of markets and those sorts of sectors, culture has a real part to play. And as does as do values. Mind you, values don't pay the rent when the mm. or, or you know rising gas bills. Yeah, that's true. Now let's get into something that the richer geek loves, and that is your website, geekboss.com. I just love those two. You're the boss, but you're not you're not only a boss, but you're a geek boss. <laughs> and uh, I, I just love that term. So what is everybody geekboss.com? You got to go to it. Tell us a little bit about the geek boss. Over the years that my blog at Articulate Marketing became much more about marketing and much more about marketing for businesses and what we did. And the space I had on there to talk about the things that interested me diminished. It stopped being my blog. It transitioned into being the company blog. Now, that's great. It's a great, great resource to learn about marketing for technology companies. So I started Geek Boss a couple of years ago as a place where I could write about, blog about things I cared about. So there's a little bit about Lego, there's a little bit about software development, there's a little bit about this and that, but it's mostly about how to be a better manager and a better leader. Mm. And, and my strong feeling is um, there are a lot of really bad role models and bad cultural examples of what being a boss and a leader are out there. There's an awful lot of machismo and, you know, sharp pits and dragons dens and you're fired and hierarchy and humiliation and I don't like any of that and I think I think the the geek mentality if I can put it like that can bring a certain quality and richness and insight I hope to being a leader and a manager and I'm seeking it out I mean I've, I think I've admitted a few of my weaknesses here about being a control freak and stuff and the people stuff. So this is part of my way of exercising through that and thinking about that a lot. So I, I've written quite a lot about um, remote working. I've written a lot about employee engagement. I've written a lot about the difference between um, managers and leaders and, and, and so on. Th th these things fascinate me. So it, it's, it's very personal. It's very, it's just, the stuff that rattles around my brain. There's nothing. I'm not selling anything there. You yeah. know, if you go, you're, you're just getting Matthew stuff. That's, that's wonderful. So, you know, everybody, geekboss.com and articulatemarketing.com. Now, before we let you go and to enjoy your evening tea, um, we have to get into how do you develop and design games? You know, for all of us geeks out there, you designed games for Lego. What was that life like? Um, at the beginning, absolutely delightful, joyful, because designing games is a creative thing. Games are one of a handful of things that make humans human. There are a little bit of game playing in other species, but mostly it's a human activity. So I, I love that idea of, of, of that. Um, when I started, I could design a computer game in three or four months. I could program one if I was programming it in a few months. I could work with one or two other people and we could ship it. So my, my first game, I designed it. Another, Nick uh, Wilson programmed it. Um, it was published by Electronic Arts on three different yeah. machines. And fantastic. I did that when I was 18. When I sold my games company, 
completely different story. We did a, a World Cup soccer game. We did the Dune Emperor game. Teams of 20, 30 people working for 18 months, millions of dollars. And, and that trend has continued since I left the industry. So now it's huge blockbuster games, big budgets. I respect all of that. I mean, they're amazing, amazing, amazing experiences, but that's not the bit that I like. I, I think today there is this incredible underground culture of, of independent developers doing amazing work. And that, I think that's the, the, the stuff that I like. Um, so the games that obsess me at the moment are things like A Dark Room, um, mm. some of the Twine interactive fiction games. Th these are not sophisticated. Well, they are. Some of them are very sophisticated, but they're not big. They're not 3D worlds that you explore. So if I was going to get started doing game design again, I would be, I'd be in that space. I'd be trying to do the game that I could build myself at home in three to six months. And I'd be really, really looking for doing that quickly and, and, and iterating on gameplay and imagination, not iterating on graphics and whiz-bang explosions and things. Uh, you know, Activision and EA and people do yeah. that stuff so much better. There's just no point trying now. Um, yeah. Yeah, it or has come. It's another game. I, I think ORD, ORD, just a work of towering genius. Mm. Anyway, so. it, it's uh, it's come such a long way. I remember those days. Well, I was a child and had Pong. Yes, avoid <laughs> missing ball for high school. I met <laughs> Nolan Bushnell once. You did absolutely. I'm like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Uh, this is this is the great thing about being in computer games. I actually got to meet my heroes. Um, the, the, the first time in my life I ever ate sushi, which is an admission, um, Will Wright um, from Maxis, SimCity, the Sims designer, took me out in San Francisco for, for my first sushi meal when I was in my early 20s and mm. working from just developing a game for Maxis. I mean, it's amazing. I, I just, these people are just creative gods. I suspect some of these games will be remembered like we remember Rembrandt and, and mm. Mozart. Absolutely, because and a lot of people are actually going back to those simplistic DOS type build games, you know, because it's it's just so funny to them. We're just so simple to go back and you know the very first uh, consoles, you know, the very first Atari, you know, the the they're so simplistic and pixelated that it was it was and you just go back and just you know, especially as you get a little older, you reminisce about some of those older games you know maybe it's because i just can't figure out these new games they're just <laughs> they're too, too much it's too involved yeah. too much to different levels and then you have to do all these things and then you go online and i then i get killed by a, a 10 year old yes yes and you know, taunted by a 10 year old taunted, and then they insult yes. you while they're doing then it. they insult yeah. you and, and then they wait for you and kill you again <laughs> and tell you how much you know, of an old man I am. So it's, I'll stick with the, the old Atari stuff and, and uh, the EA stuff. And I'd love to do the Pong. With the exception that I think the new Microsoft Flight Simulator is mm. fantastic. And I think you would enjoy it as a, as a pilot, as I do. The, if you hook it up to a, you know, Xbox 
Series X onto a, a you know, 4K TV and then you go flying, it's mind-bogglingly good. And, you know, for once, the higher quality graphics actually do something useful and make it a very immersive experience. I, I, I think that's a, that's a fabulous, fabulous. Um, that's yeah. probably the... Yeah. So, it, 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 yeah. And especially if they... Um... Well, within the world of VR, can you imagine if they did a flight simulator where it's, I mean, you're actually grabbing things and pushing buttons uh, and you could see all, you know, 360 degrees around you in, in the cockpit. I think that would be just fabulous. Yeah, I think that's the next stage or augmented reality. Or um, AR, yeah, augmented, yeah, but fabulous. Well, Matthew, it has been absolutely a pleasure. And I thank you for coming on. Everybody, again, Geek Boss, everyone loves that name. Go to geekboss.com and articulatemarketing.com. Is there any other way that our listeners can find you? Well, if you go to articulatemarketing.com forward slash meet, M E E T, mm -hmm. um, it's got my calendar. Um, book up a meeting. I'd love to have a chat. If you've got something interesting to say or an interesting question, that's how you can get in touch with me. And if you're into Vino, Go to vincarta.com. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have another chat about the wine on another occasion. We will. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show, and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichergeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening. And leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you, and thanks for listening.